Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, our brand new podcast by Climb Scotland, bringing you climbing stories and mountain tales from Scottish underdogs and local heroes. Your hosts are the legendary, well, me, Callum McBain, and me, Robert McKenzie. Callum, what is the plan, bud? Well, we both love interview podcasts, and for our jobs, we get to travel around and speak to loads of different climbers. So we thought we would combine both of these things and share the stories we hear through this podcast. That's right. We're not just interviewing the hardcore among you, but literally anyone that we think has a cool story to tell. And we know that there's a lot of you out there. So keep an eye out every fortnight for the latest Climber Chat. And if you have anyone you'd like to hear from, or if you want to be in the show yourself, let us know and spread the Scott Rock word. And remember, guys, when you get back out there climbing, back to the crags, back to the walls, be safe and do your buddy checks. Enjoy the podcast. Today's episode is with my long-suffering partner in life, crime, and sometimes climbing too, Rebecca Drummond. Together, we have two wonderful, adventurous, and sometimes pretty difficult daughters, Lucy and Innes, who you'll hear a little bit from in the interview. Now, this is a bit of an ad hoc one, but it's some good chat about motherhood and climbing, a couple of interesting questions about climbing couples as well, uh, and a few inspirational people in Becca's climbing career. Now, I'm sure everyone who's been working from home recently is pretty used to having your toddler running into your Zoom meetings or Skype calls or whatever. So there is a few interruptions from a naked toddler running in and a few from a a very hungry six-month-old. But if you can get past that, there's some good chat in there too. So here you go, Rebecca Drummond. Right. Okay, right. Take four. (laughs) Take like 100 and whatever. So today, sitting down with Rebecca Drummond and Innes Drummond, McBain, who's the small four-month-old who will be supplying the grunting and heavy breathing in the background of this podcast. Um, It's too awkward for me to introduce you, Rebecca, so I think you should just give yourself an introduction. Who who, who are you? Who is Rebecca Drummond? What do you want me to say about myself? What is, like, who you are? I am Rebecca, like you've already said. (laughs) I... Um, a climber. I'm currently on maternity leave with my four-month-old. I have a two-year-old as well. Um, I work as a catering manager at the moment, but I like to spend most of my time going climbing, or trying to, as much as you can, with two kids and a job and coronavirus. (laughs) So actually, I don't do any climbing at all. I just hang off of a fingerboard and pretend that I like to go climbing. Yeah, I suppose calling yourself a climber right now is probably in the, <laughs> the loosest sense of the term possible. It's more likely you're someone who likes hanging off a bit of wood and looking at pictures of climbing online. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose, where, where did your climbing journey kind of start? Like, how did you get into climbing? So, I think when I was about six or seven, my mum got um, really into climbing like, obsessively into climbing, like, whoever is a climber is always obsessively into it, I guess. Um, And 
just involved me in it as well. I was pretty psyched. And she, you know, she took me to the wall. Um, and start, when she started going outdoor climbing, she got me involved as well. We went on like lots of holidays together. She used to after after school. I think once a week we'd go when I was younger. She after school she'd drive us the half an hour or forty five minutes or whatever to the climbing wall. She'd climb with me for like an hour, an hour and a half, and then my dad would come and pick me up, and then she would climb with her partner for a little bit, and then. We'd either I'd stay at my dad's and we'd get up really early and drive back to school in the morning, or should we just drive back later in the evening? And then once I was older and I could belay and things as well, I'd just climb with the both of them at the climbing wall or outside. And then when I was maybe about I can't remember when I started getting into comps, early teens. When was it your mum first started taking you climbing to? Like what age were you? Around six, I think. Six. And pretty young. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember being dropped off. I think my um, my dad took me to the kids' club at, uh, in Dundee, and I remember being definitely told to lie about my age. <laughs> or, no, maybe, maybe I didn't get told to lie about my age. Maybe my dad just lied about my age to the, uh, to the instructors, and then when the instructors asked what my age was, I was just like... Sits, and then I had to get my dad had to get called for me to get picked up because we had to be. I think it was like seven or eight or something. Oh no, your dad is an annoying parent. That yeah, didn't I know. Rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I started doing comps when I was in my teens and just like stopped climbing outside pretty much altogether. Um, and then got back into. I did learn how to trad climb when I was really young, like seven or something like that, but like wasn't as soon as I hit like 12 or I think I was just so much more interested in climbing indoors where it was kind of like warm and there were no midges and it didn't rain and I was more into comps that um, I just didn't really do any more outside climbing or any trad climbing and then when uh, in my late teens got back in to that again wasn't really interested in doing comps kind of like fell out of love with them and then got my groove back trad wise it's kind of like relearning to trad climb again it's quite funny it's good fun sorry that was a bit of a waffle <laughs> what? Really I think like all of these podcasts are probably <laughs> waffle <laughs> probably doing a more apt name for the podcast yeah. climbing waffles <laughs> yeah. um ah what I was thinking Something I suppose this is something that I know, but it's interesting that your mum didn't really come from like she wasn't like a climbing from kids kind of person. Like it wasn't part a big part of your family. Your mum got into climbing when she was older, didn't she? And then you got into climbing with her. Yeah. So I, how old would I have been? I think my mum would have been in her early thirties when she got into climbing. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, no, yeah, with no climbing background. I actually, I should probably ask her why she got into climbing. Yeah, it's I, think, like... I think my, I think my dad maybe went for an instructor's course or something. And they're not together, but my mum was probably just like, "Oh, that sounds fun." And then my dad didn't actually take it up whatsoever, but my mum maybe took it up. I'm not entirely sure. I should ask her. 
That's kind of, maybe she can be the next person we interview for the yeah. podcast. We can do a socially socially distant Sonia yeah. Drummond podcast. Um, so yeah, that's like the kind of classic. I suppose a lot of younger climbers nowadays go through the same process where it's like indoor climbing and then competitions and then you kind of branched into outdoors. I suppose something else is quite interesting. Like you had quite a, a lot of trips when you were like 17 or 18, like reasonably young where you went to pretty like far flung locations for someone that age. Maybe like tell us a bit more about those trips and kind of how they changed your view of climbing. So I think I've always been quite an I was always quite an independent kid. Like my my mum went back to uni when I was uh, when I was quite young and I've always been like, you know, I could cook for myself and do other things and so it's funny, independent it's almost, there's another little child we have that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty independent and stubborn. I can see where she gets it from now. Um, so, you know, I, I, I moved, I say moved out when I was 17. Um, I constantly moved in and out of parents' houses when I was um, 17. So I just, I don't know, I went i just didn't know what i was doing to be honest i went to uni i dropped out of uni went on climbing holidays repeated that cycle a few times and i think i guess climbing is the one thing that's kind of stayed constant with me through all of that um and it's like various forms of climbing like it's not just been yeah it's like changed for me where were the first few trips you went abroad so I had my first trip on my, no, say not on my own, but without any parents was a trip to Font when I was 16, which didn't involve a lot of climbing. So there was that. But then I went, I went to, no, I think I was 15 actually. Yeah, that was when I was 15. And Isn't then I went, was Gaz Vincent on that trip as well? No. No, okay. no that's that, no, was, that was another font trip. That was another it? font trip. Yeah. No, that was an MTMS trip right, um, yeah. to font where it rained most of the time. But I went to Seuss when I was um, 16, which was a really good trip. Um, and <laughs> looking back on it now, I definitely would have played out things a lot different. I think I went for... I, my boyfriend at the time was already there with two other kind of friends from, from the climbing wall. And I flew out to meet them on my own. After a comp, comp didn't go well. Was feeling a bit rubbish about it. Probably like, I think I'd just come back from being injured. I got injured quite a lot, and um, we went out, and I basically tried the same route for <laughs> two weeks straight. Because if you've been to Seus, you know that the stuff around the kind of like six C, seven A level. It's really hard and my 16 year old ego I don't think could take falling off of grades that um, I would regularly climb on site easily indoors and so I just tried the 70 plus for for two weeks and eventually did it like classic like last shot last trip of the of the trip and you know looking back on it now you know, we said we were we were just trying this one route because we didn't want to queue for all the other things and it was too hot in the other areas and blah, 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 blah. But I was really scared. I didn't want my, like, ass kicked on these, like, other routes. And I was really scared of falling off 
as well. So maybe I would have played it different if I yeah definitely definitely play it different now. I'd go back and try all these like other amazing like seven Bs and stuff like that and not really be scared about getting my ass handed to me. Can I say ass? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll skim over it really quickly. So. Where were we? What did you ask? Did you ask uh, me? Oh, we're talking about your trips. earlier trips. So there was that, fun series. Uh, I've been. Uh, did I go anywhere? Else? I've been to, and then I went to India a couple times. I went to Hampi when I was seventeen, um, which was like probably one of the best trips of my life. Yeah, probably just because I don't know. It was just so different. Like going, not for the climbing wise, just like going out and experiencing different cultures and. A sense of yeah, like a bit more freedom. Even though, though my mum still like booked the train and stuff for us because wasn't like exceedingly capable. But um, you know, just being out there was it was just so much fun. We're out there. It was my I, I were out for a month, I think, and then I went back. Was it the next year or the year after for a couple months? And that time I flew out by myself, and I, that's. Definitely, and I wasn't sure how I was going to get from Bangalore, where you fly to, to Hampi, whether I was going to try and... I think maybe, did I try and book a bus? But there was, like, local buses, which were much cheaper, but I wasn't really sure. And I just remember arriving at Bangalore in Bangalore in the dark, on my own, and just kind of, like, wandering around the bus station. And no one was... I was trying to pronounce this, like, city called Gangavati that I wanted to go to but none of the people could understand me and it's just like oh crap <laughs> it's dark and I don't know what I'm doing but eventually there's someone yeah, that, that uh, spoke English that could understand you know like white foreign girl that, and got on like a local bus and managed to get do the changeover and things like that it was probably a miracle that I got anywhere <laughs> not the most organised and then I went to Spain after that um, got um, bored of bouldering in India. I should have. I, I wish that I just travelled around India a bit more instead of just like staying in one place and and um, climbing. But um, yeah. But then went to Spain and lived out the back of the Suzuki wagon for a little while. Just not long past my driving driving. I think you need to for the. I was going to say the viewers, but for the for the, for the listeners, you need to explain exactly how big a Suzuki wagon is. <laughs> well, they probably shouldn't be called wagons. Well, that's yeah. Kind of, it's a bit, it's a bit misleading. Yeah, they're they're small. They're well, they're four seater, but they like the boot is. They don't even have five seats. Oh no, five seater. Okay, I was like, yeah. well, that's really small. <laughs> is it? I'm not sure. Anyway, but they're they're small cars. It was an R plus. <laughs> so does that mean it goes R. really fast? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I had a, we had a tent as well, so there was that. This is a Q wagon in the tent. How long did you stay in the wagon for? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember in Spain for two months. But we stayed with a friend in France for maybe a, a week, a couple of weeks. But that got pretty... It was, I think, February or February or March when we were out there and I kind of assumed that Spain would be warm at night. But there was ice. 
<laughs> on the outside of our tent in the morning. It was so cold. Um, it warmed up and it got a bit. It got a bit better. But when we went to Albarathine, we realised you're not allowed to. Um, and Siran actually, you're not allowed to pitch your tent. So when you can't pitch your house and you live out in a Suzuki wagon, it's like a bit uncomfortable. Um, so he tried sleeping on boulder, two boulder mats. And then quickly realised that you should definitely like sleep under trees if you're sleeping on boulder mats because you're like it's horrible if you wake up in the morning and touch the outside of your sleeping bag and your sleeping bag is just like saturated with condensation. <laughs> so that's a bit that's a bit grim. I always kinda of thought that like sport climbing and bouldering trips are meant to be like nice and pleasant. But I think it sounds like you guys brought like Alpine suffering into Tirana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's quite impressive. Um yeah, I think I came home feeling a bit, like, d- deflated. Not deflated, that's not the right word. Just, um, worn out. I think a month of... Wanting change, yeah. Yeah. A month of staying in a car would probably do that to most people. I think it was t- more like two months. Two months and I was yeah. just, like, blown exhausted from driving back from Spain on my own. Not on my own. Um, my partner was in the car, but he couldn't drive, so... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just actually before we go on I, just, I wanted to backtrack something because it just cropped off in my head because you were talking about when you were in Seuss trying Serpent de I can't remember the name Pro- of it. Pre- uh, oh god I uh, really hope we don't have any French people listen to this uh, privilege of snake <laughs> privilege de ser- serpent um, anyway but yeah because so, you mentioned that you convinced, or you convinced yourself, in inverted commas, at the time you were trying that because of loads of different reasons. But looking back on it now, it's because you didn't want to get your ass handed to you by like a six year in the corner or whatever. It was yeah. kind of safe to retreat into one hard route and fail on a hard route than mm-hmm. fail on what seems like easy routes. But like, is there a point in your climbing where you either like really suddenly came to that realization or like that there was like a shift in your mindset? that allowed you to see that or was it a really gradual thing? I mean I think it's probably just really gradual. I think it's just a growing up thing. Like I, I, I don't think there's it's very few teenagers that I think I don't think it's a climbing thing specifically. I think it's like an, an age thing of like not wanting to look a certain way or yeah, just teenage ego. Yeah. Basically, I suppose it plays into I don't know if it's just limited to teenagers because a lot of like like Hazel Finlay sort of chat and stuff that goes out like fear of failure I guess like it seems super common amongst all yeah I guess parts of climbing now I was in the British junior climbing team at this point and didn't really want to look like I was like failing on all these other things and like admit to being this actually sub-average climber when you like built yourself up to be this like actually quite good climber you have to answer this question honestly were you wearing your GB kit at the crowd? Oh, I definitely wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wasn't I'm sure I found one of your GB bags lying around and I was tempted to take it to the climbing wall but <laughs> I don't think anyone would buy that I was in Team GB they're, they're stored as relics antiques when I was Average climbing for my age. <laughs> <laughs> Exceedingly average. Exceedingly average. It's quite good. It still blows my mind, to be honest. India trip. Like, for someone... I think I would still be scared to go to India by myself as, like, 
an adult, never mind as like a young person. Seems like I suppose testament to you just kind of putting yourself out there and seeing what happens. It was I, I, the first time I went. I I was with my boyfriend at the time, so it was like the two of us going out, and it was like you kind of go into like a safe haven in Hampi as well. It's like this. It's just like an island of, yeah, for climbers, basically. It's like camp climbing. (laughs) Like, a little camp for climbers. It's like the bouldering Kalimnos, but in India, with a more chill and less five-star hotel. More It's not quite midnight in Delhi, kind of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was quite intimidating. Uh, Going, when when we first arrived, and, you know, everyone, I'm blonde hair, blue eyes, very pale. You must have stuck out like a sore thumb, India. Like everyone wants to get a picture taken with you because you look so different, and I was obviously like looking quite young as well and on my own, not on my own, but um, the two of us we kind of just it was, but it was nice. Yeah, that's quite an interesting one actually. Cause I'm curious to know how you answer it, but you can have more than one person as well. But is there any people that you identify as being like pivotal in your climbing journey, and? Who are they and why do you think they are pivotal? Well, obviously my mum. I don't think I could yeah, answer that question without mentioning my mum. Definitely. Who, who like got me into climbing and also like gave up a lot of her time to take me climbing, to like ship me to all ends of the country, to go to comps or whatever. But also when I was younger, like she would she'd take me on holidays with her and um her partner like we went i think when i was seven we went down to portland and did like a load of my first sport climbs like did my first sport leads and we went to little triffin little triffin 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 oh god we should not talk about welsh names because we will not do well went to some really easy welsh slab (laughs) and i did my first trad leads there and you know like that's her holiday time that she spent taking me places like and oh she was obviously climbing too and sorry goodness is looking like she's doing a poo yeah you know mum's been like a constant <laughs> she's spewing everywhere you're laughing because Ennis is slowly spewing all over you and you're it's quite good it's quite good you're not reacting to it I'm mopping this up I think this is the first person that's thrown up in the, the Scott Rock podcast my mum yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wales, she's just yeah. been um, and yeah Wales you know driving me to the climbing wall beating me while I was training like I, in Dundee where I'm from it's not like a big city where there was a youth team or a big climbing wall or whatever where you could just like drop your kid off and then they'd get all this nice coaching it's like my mum would take me to the climbing wall and beating me there wasn't like my climbing wall is very small <laughs> and it was her yeah that put put the time in with me and even just like you know encouraging me you know when I dropped out of uni and went climbing in India there was never like a a bad word about it it was always just encouraging and then when I did it the second time when I dropped out of uni again and went to India it was it was the same um or when I dropped out of uni and went to Spain <laughs> a third time or dropped out of uni and went to had a child is that the fourth time <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a recurrent theme. Um, yeah, it's always been like incredibly encouraging. Um, 
And then, um, well, Neil McGeeky, definitely. I think a lot of anyone, any kids that, that are around my age that did comps in Scotland would definitely put Neil McGeeky as someone that inspired them or was like a pivotal turning point in their climbing. I suppose for all our newer age listeners, who who is Neil McGeeky, sometimes called Geek? Geek. Um, he was, I guess... Well, before your job existed, he was like you. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know. But he like, yeah, he did a lot of route setting, loads of kids coaching at the time. Um, yeah, like worked doing that kind of stuff. But he wrote me a training plan. You know, me and my friend, um, me and another boy, Rory from Aberdeen, and sometimes um, another lady, Donna, and her kids would go to his garage to train because you know we weren't living next to a climbing wall and he never never charged us for this we just like would all rock up to his house and like train on this 70 degree board and I remember when um like before I would go and do comps I'd always get these like messages from geek um like the morning before the night before being like like these huge paragraphs about how I shouldn't shouldn't stress out you know you've been training really hard like you deserve not you deserve, that's not the right word, he didn't say things like that, but like, you, there's no need to stress out about this because you're you're good enough, you've been doing this, like all these super nice things and that's something I'll definitely remember forever. And then even now, <laughs> Geek actually has a, a kid that's uh, just a little bit older than Lucy and we're still, like, we're still climbing together, he's definitely like one of my favourite guys to climb with. Like, if I was, if I was going to do any kind of, like, big route or whatever that I really wanted to do if I had to choose someone to hold my ropes it would definitely be Neil probably for both me and maybe me and my mum would be Andy Nisbet as well who sadly passed away quite recently I think so my mum actually saw him for a little while when I was maybe like I can't remember how old I was like 10 or 11 or something or 12 I don't know and he um, did a lot of trad climbing stuff with me. Like we went and like just a lot of generally like cool stuff. Like more te- teaching me more how to trad climb, and <laughs> we went and did like big multi pitch sport climbing in the Pyrenees together, and like with him and my mum. So, and him and my mum did like some loads of new routing and took me winter climbing a couple times, and just like I guess allowed this more adventurous kind of climbing where mum might have not been like happy taking me just on my own like was ha- he was happy to like have a kid drag along with him even if I like bailed at the bottom of the route because I had a headache or whatever <laughs> and I think Andy also paid for quite a lot of my climbing wall entries for a while as well because mum and me and my mum weren't like super well off so that's a really interesting mix of characters isn't it I suppose especially Andy, because he kind of, if there's someone that was going to show you a bit of love for, like, traditional Scottish climbing, like, Andy's probably pretty, or Andy probably was pretty high up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there's anyone to, like, serve a trad apprenticeship with, it would be... Yeah, like, definitely. It would be Andy. Another really interesting thing, or another thing that I kind of wanted to chat about was, so you kind of, you've done, like, the indoor stuff, then you went outdoors... And then you're you're kind of still involved in the indoor scene to some extent now, but maybe in a slightly different way. Do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? So I, I yeah, I do resetting for MCVS and 
I did, yeah, root setting out like various other climbing walls as well. But um, it's something I really enjoy is yeah, root, root setting, and it's really fun seeing how all the kids do on your roots. Jane has been like having been involved in the comp seed ages ago, and now kind of seeing it from the root setter's perspective. Do you think anything is what? What are the biggest changes? Oh, it's harder. Just generally harder. <laughs> just generally yeah. harder. What was the hardest <laughs> grades that you got in like the? I was more like what was like because the hard roots were still hard, but it's more like our first route, like even as like the oldest category or whatever was always like jugs, jugs on a vert wall, like bucket jugs. Yeah. <laughs> and now you get like. Like your first route's still kind of sketchy, I guess for running jump dino on the yeah <laughs> on the route. Um, uh, they're more like formal now, or not formal, just like a bit more uptight. <laughs> Coming <laughs> what was from a perspective? <laughs> what was looser about them back in the day? <laughs> or maybe I just didn't notice because I wasn't the one like route setting or whatever, where there's like got to be four points of contact on the starting holds, or like all these holds have to be taped, or blah 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 blah. Like there was like. I guess, or I feel like there was maybe more onus on you as a competitor to like <laughs> Look at know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is odd because that's almost like completely the opposite of the grade thing where you'd expect the kids to were not as good at climbing back then, but then more is expected of them. Whereas now they climb harder, but maybe more things are... Like, oh, there was a, there was a, another root, uh, another um, hold on my panel, which was a completely different colour, but I totally thought it was mine. <laughs> That's what I remember it anyway, but maybe maybe it was just the same. Maybe it was still like yeah, it's like nostalgia. Folk, yeah, folks stressing over things. What about like the styles of roots? Do you think it's a definitely because everyone always thinks that the modern stuff is like parkour, whereas old school was the one of the strongest fingers will win this competition. Mm, I'm trying to remember. Like it wasn't super long ago that I was com- competing. If that makes sense, like roots wise. Well, yeah, it was actually quite well. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like, they, were, they didn't have these, like, big, huge, volume kind of things. Um, and, yeah, less, like, running, jumpy, kind of weird, boulder problem-y kind of stuff. But, no, it's, it's quite interesting setting these kind of things now. Um, because... It might not, yeah, it might not be the kid with the strongest fingers that comes out on top. It's like who understands how to do all these different kinds of movement rather than just like can crank down on crimps. The kid that also was part of a parkour club, yeah, <laughs> and can crank down on crimps as well. Yeah. <laughs> they can actually read sequences. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's always a bit still like that's probably a consistent issue throughout, or at least I've noticed. Like root reading still oh, seems to be yeah, like a massive. Yeah, if you want to make the younger kids fall off, all you need to do is like set a definite sequence where you have to like cross through or something like that. But to be honest, they'll probably still just like match all the holds and totally screw over whatever you're trying to make them do. But or use all the footholds as handholds. Yeah, classic. Um, I suppose the other really big topic I'd like to talk about for this podcast is. The, the thing you're holding on to right now. <laughs> the baby. The small wriggling child. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, so you, what age were you when you had Lucy? So Lucy's our so, older... Yeah, older, Lucy's two, two and a half. Two yeah. and a half. 
almost three actually. Um, so I was twenty when I was pregnant with her, and then I just turned twenty-one before I before I had her. So quite young. Yeah, so reasonably young in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, avoided teenage pregnancy by a year. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, and what age were you in? Ennis, you must be like twenty-two or twenty-three when you Ennis our second. Twenty-three. Yeah, twenty-three. I was. Yeah, I'm twenty-three. I am 23. <laughs> yeah, I'm 23 now. Um, so, like, I suppose, how has motherhood kind of changed your experience? Because obviously climbing is still a part of your life, but yeah. how has motherhood changed that part of your life? Well, <laughs> we don't climb as much. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, I guess this is you as well, not just me. Like, um, Climbing couples sort of thing. Yeah, we... I mean, we, no, that's not... That's a lie, actually. We do... Well, right now we don't, but we do climb as much. It's just different. Like we don't, we're not going out and doing mountain routes at the moment, which is, which I think is, you know, it's fine. Mountains are going to be there when they're older. Um, but we're we live next to climbing, so we're still and like nice roadside stuff. So we take the kids to the crag or whatever, and we we have friends, yeah, like like geek that have kids, and we still go climbing, but. I actually think that having Lucy definitely changed my climbing for the better in a way that so yeah you have less you have less time to go climbing so I wasn't going to the wall you know like I used to at uni in Glasgow I used to drive not drive cycle to uni for the morning then cycle to the to TCA on my lunch break, climb, cycle back to uni for the afternoon, do my like afternoon stuff, cycle back to TCA, climb in the evening, go back home, and then just like repeat that with you know maybe a rest day here, maybe a rest day there. But you know, that's not that's not particularly conductive to getting better. So now when I had Lucy and I can't do that much, I'm forced to rest, and you know through that like resting. And, like, actually being focused in your time that you do get to climb, suddenly I'm like, oh, actually, I'm much better. <laughs> now my body's actually, like, getting a chance to recover. It turns out you actually, like, get better when you do this. Yeah. And the sessions that you do do are shorter, but... They're, yeah, they're, like, productive because, you know, you're feeling fresh because you didn't get to climb yesterday and you're you're psyched to be there. Whenever I go to the climbing wall now, it's not like I'm dragging my feet and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to go climbing. And the same when I go out and outside, it used to be I was like maybe a bit nervous to get on routes because, you know, I really wanted to do it. So maybe maybe the temps weren't right or like there's something that is like an excuse. But now it's just like this is my chance. Like she might wake up in a minute, going to get on with it. And suddenly you like, yeah, get better because you're actually just like doing it and enjoying it. You can lose a lot of your excuses, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, this this is your opportunity. You must take it. (laughs) Doesn't matter if the conditions are bad. (laughs) Doesn't matter if it's sweaty. (laughs) But that was after having Lucy. Well, has it changed again after having... Well, I don't know yet because we... (laughs) Like, definitely a very much first world problem thing at the moment during coronavirus, but... A little bit annoying because, you know, I've not been properly climbing for nine months. was super psyched about having a spring to go out climbing. <laughs> but, um, uh, but I obviously can't. But, um, I think I'll, well, we'll see how it is after having Ennis. My, my core is a bit, uh, yeah, a lot more 
strained after after having Ennis. But I think we're, you know, I've been doing loads of rehab and stuff, so it's it's getting there. I probably won't be doing any kind of like steep roof climbs for the next little while, but didn't really like doing those anyway. So, <laughs> so we can summarise that having one child will improve your climbing, but, but two we're not sure about yet. <laughs> wait, wait six months and we can tell you. Um, and it's difficult though because it's like a perspective thing because we can probably both say we don't climb that much now, but that's because we both came from essentially being full-time climbers who climbed almost every single day. Maybe for yeah. like, if you took the benchmark of a normal person, I'd say we probably still climb yeah, more lot. than an average climber. But like you know, when we were living in Glasgow, like we cl- when we moved here with Lucy, we climbed more outdoors than we ever did when we lived in Glasgow for a year. But it's just like situational. True. Like we moved some, like you just kind of get like sucked into this city hole where it's like kind of. Like, it takes time to drive anywhere or do anything. Or... You get sucked into that terrible, lovely TCA coffee. coffee. Cake. <laughs> and you can never go back outside again. <laughs> it's too nice in there. Um, it's a little plug for TCA, actually. Um, I suppose another thing as well is probably more related, not necessarily to motherhood, but pregnancy and climbing, because you climbed throughout both pregnancies, didn't you? Yeah. So Lucy and Ines. And it's, I suppose like maybe some people think that's a little bit controversial still. You maybe get people that don't really... Uh, yeah, I think like people that... Well, yeah, obviously anyone that doesn't know what climbing is or what climbing's... Like, yeah, how you can make climbing safer. It's just like, ah, oh, dangerous sport. But um, I think the majority of people are kind of accepting of women climbing. And it was... Um, it was fine with with Lucy, but my hips got really sore with um in a so it was a bit a bit harder. I didn't do that much like actual climbing climbing in the end. I ended up just like doing more kind of like weights and finger training stuff. And still did, you know, like a bit of climbing but When you say climbing, like what Top what? roping, I guess. Indoors, outdoors or? Outdoor uh, yeah, seconding, top roping, low level bouldering. Um, indoors, outdoors. Multi-pitch? Uh, we did some multi-pitch with Lucy, just like kind of not super remote, like in my comfort level kind of stuff. But um, with Innes, um the climbing I think would have been fine if it was like easy. But the thought of like work- walking on uneven terrain with my <laughs> pelvis and my hips was just like an absolute no. I think like, yeah, walking and stuff was actually worse on my hips than climbing was. Maybe I'm... Maybe it was just wishful thinking saying that, but um, yeah, I suppose that's how he chose sort of Gideon, the multi pitch with the 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 only, is it a downhill walk in? Because you can park uphill. Yeah, but we didn't want park uphill. We okay. parked. That was a slight mistake. Yeah. On my part, but I think you maybe probably have like the most. I need to think of an acronym for this. The most pregnant ascent of magic crack in Korean Schnecta. M most MP first <laughs> on a Tuesday on a Tuesday by someone by called someone <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think. Oh, climbing, we're talking. Yeah, about, I don't uh, think climbing. Well, climbing. well, being pregnant is the controversial thing that it might once have been. Basically, yeah. Like, I, like there's a lot of women climbing. Most women will bear children at some point. Like, 
and yet you may maybe choose not to climb when you're pregnant as well you know like <laughs> your hips are agony or can be agony you might be like throwing up all the time it's like pretty reasonable to not want to go climbing like climbing your psych for climbing kind of ebbs and flows as it is never mind like with growing a child it's <laughs> What is it, honey? Yeah, so, like, yeah, you're climbing in general. Like, you, there's always, like, dips in motivation for climbing. And it's, like, very reasonable if, you know, while you're growing a whole new human, you're kind of preoccupied with... Doing that. Something, something else. <laughs> or, you know, like, you feel sick. Like, you shouldn't feel, like, this pressure to continue your life as normal because it's not... But if you do, like, if you do feel motivation or good enough or whatever then there are things you can do and they might make you, yeah make you feel better does that extend i just something you mentioned there does that extend into parenthood too that idea that trying to do what you did before even though things might have changed so as in like still trying to maintain that Okay, <laughs> I think we're pretty bad for this. Yeah. I just like, yeah, trying trying to continue your life as normal with kids even though your life is nowhere near normal <laughs> because you've had kids. Yeah. Like, still trying to do everything. Like, yeah, no. It's like the... It's, you just end up in, like, total burnout. What's the analogy? Yeah, it's burn, burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. I think we are just, like, a huge ball of... Flames. Flames. <laughs> <laughs> setting everything on fire that touches um, it's hard trying to find time to do like something you've got to sacrifice something in the end like if you're like, like time with your family time with friends trying to keep your like house sanitary like training having time to relax like something's something's got to give and otherwise you just kind of do a bad job at kind of everything for us, I think the house is probably there. Yeah, the house definitely goes first <laughs> definitely for us. Definitely house. Like, I'm not, not too keen, yeah, to sacrifice time with kids or climbing. Oh, another interesting question. This could get real deep, because this is like a... I don't think it's... Like, there's, it's not uncommon to, to see either women that are prominent climbers and have children, or to see men who have families that are also still prominently into climbing. But I think... It, it's interesting you don't see particularly many couples that are both very into climbing and have children. Yeah. What are your kind of thoughts on that? I think it's, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, we both, we struggle with this because I guess, I guess it's not just climbing in general, it's just, like, generally being obsessive about something. If you have two people that are really obsessive about things... And then kids as well. It's really hard to find time for the both of you to do what you want to do. Especially like, if the obsession is similar, I guess. Yeah. Like, I know, like, there... I think there is one famous climbery couple with kids. Oh, um, um, the, the Italian girl and the James Pearson. Yeah, Caroline, Caroline Giovaldi. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, they're professional climbers. Yeah. They, they get, get to go climbing to the yeah. <laughs> with their kid. But um, when you've got to, like, both work and then both find... T- it's like this constant battle for time. And I don't know, maybe it'd be easier if only one of us climbed because, I don't know, in in relationships where one person is, like, super 
into climbing or super obsessive about so does the other partner or do they do they just get satisfaction from like supporting their partner or maybe I'm just super unsupportive and I don't want to support you and I just want to go climbing myself <laughs> if you could just give up climbing and look after the kids yes like, yeah. where was it if you see a professional climber normally male not like yeah normally male and they're away on these like and you, they've got kids but it's not like part of their professional persona or whatever and they've gone away on huge like a month long two month long climbing trips or they've gone big walling or whatever and you're just I, it leaves me thinking like does does their partner do they get this time back like they've just like looked after the kids or whatever for a solid two months do they then get two months to go and like bugger off to do what they want to do or is it just this like they get satisfaction from their partner going and doing this I think that that's definitely the climber's perspective. It's like, when do I get my two-month holiday? You've had your two-month holiday. Yeah, or yeah, they just get like satisfaction. They like they're happy. They're satisfied from looking after the kids. That's something that they enjoy. That's something that not that I don't enjoy looking after my kids. It's always it's hard. Not... It comes across yeah. like yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it's something we we struggle with, especially with you doing your you your like ML training last. Oh God, yeah, summer. trying to become like essentially a. Yeah, <laughs> so you were spending like most most weekends like out doing ML stuff, and I'm just like silently seething because I'm at home pregnant, looking after after Lucy. I suppose there is like the silver linings of this as well, because if you've got two people that are obsessed with climbing, at least you then get to share your obsession. Like you both enjoy going out bouldering for the day, rather than one person always wishing they were doing. Something yeah. else. So if you had a runner and a climber together, the runner is probably thinking, oh, I want to go do half marathon right now. Whereas the yeah. climber is like, I want to go bouldering. But yeah, we can go out and have family time and all enjoy what we're, we're doing. Yeah, obviously, like, it's it's so good. Like, we can do a little family holiday to go bouldering and things like that. And it's not like one person's stuck on the beach while the other person goes climbing because the other person doesn't want to go climbing. Like, it's... it. Yeah, the positives, I think, definitely outweigh the negatives. Because you got your summer of doing ML last year. This is Damn this it. is my summer. <laughs> I bet I'm cool with that. This summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless we don't get to go climbing, then next summer. Yeah. My summer. There's no. You don't get any refunds. Plus, I grew to blown children and took basically two years out while you can go and do stuff. So <laughs> I, I get that time back. Okay. Three three years in lieu. Yeah. Another kind of interesting thing to think about is. You know, you have a fairly active Instagram account. Like I'm pretty terrible with social media. Like I don't. No, you're like the worst kind of. Oh yeah, like media. I, I look at yours. You and... like no, you don't look at mine. You you use yours to like scroll through things pointlessly, but don't actually engage in it whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> the worst kind of Instagram. It's user. worse than yeah, worse like, than using it. I, like the I'm I'm too cool for Instagram. I don't post anything, but I am um, secretly oh, just scroll everyone, through. Yeah. <laughs> I probably spend more time on yeah, Instagram than, than people that actually else. use Instagram. <laughs> um, ah, Robert, he's interrupting my podcast. We can answer him for a second and see if it. Uh, we're in the middle of a podcast. Oh, never mind. Crack on. <laughs> Bye, Hi, Robert. Bye. Um, yeah, it's your Instagram account. Are you? you use Instagram, I suppose, and post things. Yeah. And a lot of the posts, or some of the posts, are 
kind of focused around something that I find quite interesting, which is like the reality versus what people post on social media about their well, their their lives, what they do, their bodies. So do you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts around that? Um, so I mainly, I'd mainly just post things that I would like to read, if that makes sense. Like I'm not super interested in viewing these like kind of fake posed lighting kind of like stuff. So is there a lot of that on Instagram? Do you reckon? Like as in fake <laughs> you, and posed? Yeah, like but... if you. Not so much on my feed, but if you go to like the like searchy bit and all the like things that pop up, especially if you've like searched for exercises to do while pregnant and things like that, you get quite a lot of just like rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Of like very backlit posed kind of things that just aren't real. It's not. Yeah. So I, I don't know. If you follow a lot of like female athletes or a lot of pregnancy and postpartum fitness stuff pops up on your feed or whatever, which if you're me, it does. <laughs> um, I don't get so much yeah. of that. But. Um, there's very much like this market that wants, that feels like it just kind of wants to take advantage of women's insecurities about their body, basically. This like, get your, get your body back kind of, People just trying to make money off of, yeah, off of women's insecurities, which I just find really horrible. And you fall into the trap of it as well. You're just like, oh, that that woman looked, she had like abs and she's like, she's had twins. Like, how can I, How and she followed this. Oh, how much does that cost? Can I afford that? And you're like, no, no, stop. Don't do it. Like they... They're just wanting to sell you their supplements and and their and their program and they've just like they and they might look like that as well and it might just be genetics, like it's not it's not your body isn't always like this token of how hard you've worked or whatever it's like just mostly down to genetics. Yeah, I suppose kind of a, that happens everywhere, I guess. But like postpartum is a special breed because it's playing to that this is what you used to be and you can get it back. Whereas I suppose a lot of generic things is you want six-pack abs and this is how you'll get it. Yeah. It's just yeah, like a very sure. specific play to get people to... And it's when, I guess it's when females are feeling the most insecure about how they look because they've gone through such a big change. And, this, and it's easy to it's easy to manipulate pictures to make you look different at that stage as well. It's interesting that I... I don't know why it's cropped up into my head, but maybe it's like a, sometimes a cultural thing. Maybe, like, traditionally amongst men, but probably with everyone now, that scars are kind of, like, cool. It's kind of almost, like, battle wounds to have, like, I don't know, a scar from your, like, terrible mountain biking accident or whatever. Um, uh, do you think that... Should women look at childbirth in that way, where it's, like... Some, not, I don't mean it's like a scar in an negative no. way, but it's like something that you've accrued that's like just a wound of life and it's a positive thing. It shows that you've done something incredible, like squeezing a human out your inside. <laughs> God, um, it's going to be really inappropriate for like... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, and it's, it's hard as well because we're brought up into a society where the like 
round soft edges of like the female body aren't shown ever like it's 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 changing more now but like we're not used to seeing skin folding over the side of leggings as being a, a negative thing not just a thing like it's not it doesn't need to be positive it doesn't need to be negative it's just it's just there and i it would be yeah it'd be nice to get to the stage where it it doesn't even need to be a thing and i guess that's what i'd, I'd want to teach Lucy as well because I find like I'd find myself hiding like you know you want to wear the high waisted leggings or whatever to hide your your tummy or like suck it in a little bit more but making an effort to make that to just make it normal like it doesn't even need to be yeah like a prominent scar that's like whoa but it's just it's just normal it's not it's not anything that sounds bad because obviously childbirth and stuff is, is something. Well, it's like it's something incredible. you should be proud of, yeah, I guess, proud rather of, than. But, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not even worth mentioning. <laughs> that sounds bad as well because it makes it sound like it's not something good. I can't get across what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, I know. Like, I shouldn't have a instantly have a negative connotation about it. Yeah, I shouldn't have. I sh- yeah. I shouldn't. There shouldn't be a need to talk about it, but it should but just right be seen now as there a positive is. Yeah. thing. I'm better at writing than I am at speaking. <laughs> my, you want my to words come better down on paper than they do on my mouth. Oh, that's actually quite a good play into. I suppose to wrap up, like you have a blog, don't you? Do you, Loosely. you don't use it for no. anymore. You have know, Instagram like having, as well. You know, having the um, the time. Hello. The sacrificing things. Writing's definitely been sacrificed. Climbing takes priority over. <laughs> Yeah. Thankfully, cleaning the house is still underneath yeah. writing. <laughs> we still don't tidy our house very much. Um, but yeah, so if people want to sort of see more, hear, hear more about your life, small children trying to go climbing. Um, Maybe in the next year, I might post another blog post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Keep an eye out in the next decade for, <laughs> for a new blog. Um, oh, honey. Oh, sweetie, sweetie. Yeah, we can pop a link to your blog somehow in this podcast description. I don't know how it works. How long have we been talking for?